I'm Dawn. And I'm Tracy. And we are Real Women. So, hello Dawn. Good afternoon, Tracy. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And we are here with the amazing Rob Moore, host of the Disruptors podcast. Welcome, Rob. Yeah, thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, for those of you that aren't seeing this on video, we are actually um, in Rob's studio, in the Disruptor studio. And for our listeners who haven't heard of Rob, which I think that will be not many people, Rob is an entrepreneur, multi-seven-figure business owner, and alongside his business partner, Mark, is Peterborough's largest private landlord and owner of the UK's largest property education company. So, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And I've probably missed a few things out because well, I suspect the, the, there's lots 18, more in there. 18 books. 18, 18 books, yes. Yeah. I also have a podcast called Money, as well as Disruptors. Of course you do. Yeah. 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 So our topic today is around the impact on this term toxic masculinity. Yeah. And that impact on society because that's something Dawn and I are quite passionate about, that us empowering women is not at the diminishment of masculinity. Mm. So what do you think is going on in society at the minute with masculinity and the feminine masculine and all this toxic masculinity word? Well, I don't think it's toxic to um, protect your country or to fight fires or build buildings and bridges. I think that you know, men um, are the ones that go out in society and build an advanced society. And how can that be a bad thing? How can that be toxic? I don't understand that. Um, I think that the word toxic is a way to, it's a weapon. Yeah. Um, and if you have toxic masculinity, you have to have toxic femininity. And um, what is toxic about protecting and providing? I, I don't think there's anything toxic about that. Um, and I think we're at this very weird time in humanity where um, because society is relatively easy and it has been relatively easy for a long time i think people are very um distracted and you know if there was world war three no one would be discussing um gender no nope. we would just be looking after um you know our country and our family so let me see if i can get this right Good times, <laughs> take two. <laughs> Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. We got it, didn't we? We got, we did. it. Yeah. We got we it. We got it. <laughs> and, you know, we're in that cycle where um, we've had good times uh, and now we need strong men again. Um, yeah, what, what, um, I'd like to ask you both a question, if you don't mind on this, because, you know, when we started, you said that um, you, you don't like depositioning masculinity. No. Why? 
from a personal point of view, I agree with you from a societal aspect. Um, I think that, and by the way, this is probably interesting. I'm a very independent, strong woman. I've also raised four children. I've now got grandchildren. I've, you know, done the domestic thing and I'm successful in business as well. So on the outside, uh, it might be mm, interesting for people to presume I'm a feminist. And whilst I agree with the equality thing that we all have equal rights, we're not all the same. I think there's an impact on society when uh, when women aren't able to nurture in their feminine. I think there's an impact on society when men aren't allowed to uh, pr pr you know protect and provide. So, but equally on a personal level, I've got a very masculine husband. So I might be strong and independent in the work environment, but from a relationship point of view. And this, by the way, doesn't matter whether it's the same sex uh, relationship or a, a, a male-female relationship. It's nature, you need a masculine, you need a feminine. And I think that we complement each other in such a beautiful way uh, that to mess with that has an impact that's pretty significant and it'll be interesting to see over the next few years was as the generations are kind of saying let's remove gender and let's remove masculinity and we've we as you said we, when we spoke earlier you said <clears throat> successful men are almost punished and this word toxic is put put in front of it where the hell do you think we'd be with the economy if those people weren't doing what they were doing where the hell do you think we would be you know, when we when we do need protecting and the fire brigade and all the rest of it. So so I'm a strong believer in equality and I'm a strong believer in and us all being allowed to do what we want to do, but I'm a strong believer in the preservation of masculine and femininity because I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like if my husband wasn't masculine I'd be quite cross. Mm. Like yeah. you know there was a really interesting what thing. What makes your um, husband a man to you then? To me, you can't fuck with him. He's not having it. So he's strong. Yes. Is this physically? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But it, he's very confident. Yeah. So, so you can have somebody who's, you know, their body is strong, but if they're not confident, and this, may, this is male and female, so confidence to me is a strength. Yeah. Um, and that ability. If I was walking down the street and needed protecting, I, 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 I'm good. Mm. I'm good. Um, it's always been very important to him to give me all the money, which, by the way, is great mm. news, right? Mm. But that's his way of providing. Yeah. So it's almost, well, it's not almost, it's irrelevant whether I work or not or how much money I earn. Part of his masculinity sits in that pride as a man to be able to provide and protect. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's good for men to... Mm. Do you know what Andrew Tate said? I saw something Andrew Tate said recently. I know this is really controversial. But he was saying that he didn't want... I can't, I can't remember to quote exactly. Something on the lines of, he doesn't want his woman or women in his life to be worried and all the rest of it and have to make decisions and all the rest but he wasn't saying it I understood it he wasn't saying it from a sexist point of view I don't think I think what he was saying it in relation to is if men take that 
that away from women and make their lives happier and pleasant, they're more feminine. And by the fact that they're feminine, it supports the masculine. And so I think it's a real yin yang. I think we need it. And it's hot, right? If you've got a masculine man, it's hot. I'm sorry. I it is. Know. I'm single, but there you go. <laughs> Mine's slightly different. If I, if I look back to the 80s and 90s when I was working in corporate and back then, many women had to play masculine to, to rise in the ranks. It almost like, it, it just created that imbalance in what I think is nature. It's not about whether you're male or female, it's about whether you're a masculine being or a feminine being. And in a lot of senses, what, what the feminines that became masculine for work back in the 80s and 90s did is they created a bunch of female men, if that makes sense. So there was far more men coming forward with this feminine front. And at the end of the day, you know, we're going to go through cycles, we're going to go through wars, and you're absolutely right. I want an equitable society, not an equal one, because I recognise that my muscles as a female are unlikely to be as strong as a man's. Now, there are some women out there that can build really strong muscles, but I'm never going to be able to, even if I was younger, I'm never going to be able to go out and do what a really strong masculine firefighter is going to do. I'm never going to go out and be a strong, I don't know, army, navy person that's going to go on a 26 mile hike with 15, 20 kilograms of, of weight on their back and still shoot the enemy when they get to the other side. So mine is, is we can have a society with both masculine and feminine, but the, there's been this era of us starting to switch it. And I think that's dangerous for the next generations. You know, what about our children? How do they recognise what a strong masculine men's supposed to be like if that balance of nature's got a bit out of kilter? So yeah, I prefer equitable rather than equal, but that's just me. What's the difference? So equitable is having the equal rights and things like that. So when it comes to pay, having that equal pay. Opportunity. But opportunity, but recognising that where it comes to something where, you know, let's say it's a nurturing role, most feminine beings are stronger in nurturing. Whereas when it comes to a strength role, like lifting heavy weights and carting, you know, six hog loads of bricks up a ladder a man is going to have a better skill at that so you pay people for their skill set not their gender i think men as well i would be interested in your view on this in business therefore on society and the economic system are probably more competitive what do you think yeah so um in my experience i've run a business for nearly 20 years mm -hmm. Um, generally the women tend to stay in their roles longer and um, in all but one instance the people who set up in competition against us have been men not women um, my MD who's a woman you know believes that um, she and other women like her stayed in the role longer because it's riskier for them to move careers and safer yeah. to stay within a career. Um, actually, 
I think we have higher earning women than men in the company. And I've, I've discussed this at length with people. Um, so, yeah, my experience is longevity and loyalty from women, competition from men. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that competition that drives society from an economic point of view. And that doesn't mean that women can't contribute to that and don't contribute to it because we do. Uh, but yeah. So your relationship. So, you know, you're a successful man. Thank you. I'll, I'll take that. You drive really posh cars. You've got <laughs> yeah. Lamborghinis and Ferrari. Come on, tell me what cars you've got. Um, Lamborghini, isn't it? I have a Lamborghini, Porsche 911 Turbo, Audi RS Q8, Aston Martin DBS, Range Rover, Aston um, Ariel Atom, uh, Ferrari Testarossa, and we're just buying another 911 Turbo S. So you got loads of money, so you're successful. You're not planning <laughs> on buying the Valkyrie then, are you? No, no, that's not really good for every day. No, no. 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 So <laughs> as a successful, wealthy, quite young uh, I'm, I'm, you can definitely keep coming back to this show. <laughs> well, compared to us, Co compared to us, to us yeah, you're young. Okay. You're young. Right. Yeah, that's true. And therefore, uh, I mean, I've been in your community long enough to, to identify my interpretation of masculinity, of which I'd put you in that part. What's your relationship with masculinity in terms of when you look in the mirror and look at yourself as a successful man? Yeah. Um... I've actually thought about this quite a lot recently since this whole toxic masculinity thing came about and I, I didn't really look at myself in that way before that. Interesting. Yeah, so I just, and I think there's upsides and downsides to that, so I never really thought about what is it to be a man, I just thought what is it to be a good person. Um, and that's all I've been trying to be. But I remember when I was 23 and I, um, I had a girlfriend and um, I was 50 grand in debt. And uh, I couldn't even afford to go out and have dinner. And she always used to pay. And um, I felt a lot of shame around that. And she said, look, it's fine, but it didn't feel good. And, and um, I, when I started my business and made money, I, um, I went down her house with an envelope full of cash and I stuck it in the letterbox and the cash was the amount of money that I thought <laughs> she spent on me and dinners. And clearly, I didn't feel like I was a man providing for his woman because I felt the need to pay her back all this money. So that was probably my first experience of, okay, what does a, what does a, a man do for his, um, you know, for his girlfriend or his wife? Um, and I think a good modern man um, is someone who can create a loving environment where his partner and children feel safe and protected and are able to fully express themselves, i.e. 
if um, you know, your wife wants to work or not work, if your wife wants to raise the children. Um, I, I don't think it's about the size of your muscles. I don't think it's about... I, I'm, I am more coming towards being able to defend yourself. Uh, but there's more than one way of defending. You can defend yeah. yourself through charm and, yeah. and yeah. wit and humour and... Um, you, you know, I, I can talk myself out of a fight, <laughs> and, and actually, I, I, that, that's better than having the fight. Yeah. I think, but I am coming more around to the ability to be able to look after yourself and your your partner. Um, so, yeah, it's something I think about more now. I, I feel um, I love making money, and I love the fact that my children can go to private school and. Um, you know, my wife can have all the nice things that she wants and we can travel in luxury. That makes me feel valuable. So maybe to me, being a man is being kind and valuable. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I agree with you. That is. Well, you, you have to. because <laughs> Yeah, because we're staying <laughs> yeah, in your yeah, studio. Yeah. <laughs> true. No, we don't have to. <laughs> True. We don't have to agree. No, no. <laughs> so, question for you. So, listeners of your podcast will already know your manhood's intact. You're definitely a male if you listen to the second Katie Hopkins one. Yeah. As <laughs> at any time in your career, as the rise of female entrepreneurs sort of challenged you as a man at all? It just <laughs> the um. No, but, but my wife and I are currently watching this series called Lioness and the main character, um, it, it's the CIA and, and the main character is a very strong woman um, and I said to my wife, she's really arrogant <laughs> and First thing my wife said, well, you know, she is American military. Um, and if I am really honest. Please be. I think that there's something about very strong, independent women that I don't find attractive. Yeah. Interesting. And so I, dis I discuss and debate this with my wife and she thinks that, um, you know, those kind of women are made to look bad in society. Um, and I am much more attracted to a woman who is softer and more needy. Um, yeah, so I don't, I, I don't know if it's that I feel threatened. I, I, I don't really feel threatened by anyone, actually. I just, like, I just see it more of what am I naturally attracted to and not attracted to. But isn't that, isn't this what we were talking about? And that's about? not just, like, physical attraction. Yeah. Character. It's just, yeah, exactly. So I think maybe my wife thinks this is something that society might have imposed upon me or led me to believe. Yeah. It's... Or is it actually just energetic in terms of nature? You're naturally masculine. Forget your gender. You, it doesn't matter what, what gender or sex somebody is. If somebody is a natural masculine energy... It makes sense they're going to be attracted to feminine energy and vice versa. That's how, that's how it works. That's nature, isn't it? 
Yeah. So it's not, it isn't a surprise. So again, like I, when you asked me what my opinion was around masculinity at home, actually I'd quite like to be quite subservient. I'd quite like my husband to take over. I'd quite, I quite, I, I don't think, I don't think you do find each other attractive if you're not, if you haven't got that masculine, feminine energy. So when you're saying that, and I'm, do you know what, Rob, I'm really pleased that you've said it so that we can explore it because you haven't positioned it in a way of negativity. Actually, you've just been honest. And I think it's... Well, it's, yeah, because it would be easy to say, oh, I'm not at all threatened. Yeah. Um, and I think if more people explored just that natural vibe of that and the, the reality of nature yeah. and biology and chemicals and energy, then we could perhaps progress into a space where we're not diminishing each other and slagging each other and where we can just accept that these things naturally work. Yeah, I, I think um, for, for my... See, I think about this from an entrepreneurial and a family dynamic perspective. For my um, family dynamic to work well, the ecosystem of my family, it needs one of us, me, to be out there hunting. Yeah. Yeah. And another one of us happens to be my wife raising the children and looking after the home. Um, and I'm very comfortable with that because I love my role and I love my job. And I would feel somewhat uncomfortable with that if there was a power dynamic going on. Well, for a start, practically, who's going to look after the children? Who's going to manage the home and all of this kind of thing? But it, it, in our family dynamic, it, it, it wouldn't work. Um, and so, yeah. But, but then I do sometimes think... You know, what if I was with a very entrepreneurial, career-focused woman? How, how would that be, you know, a strong, independent woman? I don't know, because I've never done the never split done test. It, yeah. the, only per the only woman I'd ever been with that was like that, I gave her all the money back. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but, but, in but, you know, we've got female trainers, I've got female senior staff. So clearly my behaviour shows I'm not threatened by and women. I actually, I actually work mm. very well with women, very well. Um, you know, many of my senior team are women. Um, but I'm not in competition with any. And I wonder if, um, you know, I've unconsciously positioned that that way. So your wife being, and I, I, you've spoken before that she's very private and, and she is very feminine as well. Um, does that make you a better man? She makes me a better man, I think. Yeah, yeah because um, she's really supportive. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm able to go out there and um, fight the good fight. And, you know, I know she's got my back. And so I think, yeah, I, um, I think I'd really struggle without her because um, it can be a hard slog out there in business where mm. um, it can be very lonely and um, at the top especially in your organization you're responsible for everything and you're responsible for a lot of people um, and you know you, you, you take a lot of punches out there keyboard yeah. warriors and this kind of stuff um, and so I think she makes me a back, better man um, because of how supportive she is. Sometimes I think she could challenge me a little bit more. Um, I think in, in our relationship where, because we've been together nearly 20 years, and I, I think of, 
the two or three instances where our relationship was the hardest were was where maybe she wasn't holding me as accountable as she could to certain things. And I think we all need accountability. Yeah. And like I'm 44 now and, and I've had a few little health wobbles in the last year and she really keeps me to account on that. She cooks really good food. You know, she's, I, like, I fucking hate needles. She's always <laughs> on me to get my bloods done and all this and she won't let me, you know, she just bought me this heart rate monitor. I'm like, this thing takes fucking ages to, to sort out. And she's like, no, we're doing it. Um, and and I, I think that accountability is really important. It makes me feel valued and wanted. Um, you know, there were times in our relationship where she didn't care where I was, what I was doing. Oh, no, she always cared. Okay. She, yeah. <laughs> she just never was going to tell you yeah. that. No, no, this is girl chat. I'm oh, telling okay. you. She always yeah. cared. She always cared. <laughs> okay, but, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I answered the question, but... Um, did she, did, well, you did, because you, you did, said yeah. that she makes she your makes best friend. Yeah. What interests me about the choices that we make in partners is we very often go for men and women who replicate our parents. What was... How feminine was your mum? Yeah, I, uh, I think I, have, I fit many of these stereotypes, and one of them is I've basically married my mum. <laughs> Tell me about your mum. What was your relationship like with your um, mum? Well, my mum is the most supportive person you'll ever meet. And, um, you know, I, I could, probably couldn't do much wrong in her eyes and she would always be a, a, a champion of me and, and for me and very kind. And, um, yeah, my wife has those traits. So, yeah, that's kind of uncanny. I'd never really thought of it too much like that, but I've definitely married my mum. Yeah, as but it your, were. Your, mom, <laughs> your mom worked as well. You, she, they had a pub, did they? Yeah, yeah, right. and, and um, my mum's very supportive of my dad's sometimes manic behaviour. Um, that must have been tough for her. I think she liked it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know she liked it because she told me. <laughs> um, you know, my dad was here, there, and everywhere, and she liked the excitement of it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very. Um, when it comes to business, yeah, because you mentioned earlier and I've listened in some of your podcasts, you've been quite honourable in a way from my point of view that you've been honest about some of your vulnerabilities. But what terrifies you the most when it comes to business? Or does nothing terrify you? Central bank digital currencies terrify me and too much central bank or governmental control or influence over society. That does genuinely terrify me. Why? Um, because how can it be good for you if every single one of your financial tra transactions is tracked? Yeah. And um, you can't have any cash or any privacy financially. You economically, you know, if they decided they wanted to, for example, um, central digital currency, they could fine you at source. True, they just yeah. decide that they want to take money out of your bank account, you can't challenge it. Um, they want to stimulate the economy, so they say to you, well, you've got to spend £5,000 in the next two weeks, otherwise, you know, that... Well, they could do anything. Exactly. They could do anything. Exactly. So that, that to me, um, is very scary and... Um, I think this since lockdown 2020 really opened my eyes. 
to how the biggest threat to business is the government. Yeah. It's insane. And my business partner, um, he kept saying it, he kept saying the biggest threat to our business is the government, you know. That's right. 20% VAT, 25% corporation tax, 45% income tax, mm-hmm. lockdowns, all these things are, are, are intervention from governments. So too much intervention from governments or the wrong kind of intervention, too much or too little, that scares me. Um, going bust. Going bust. Yeah, it's, um, I actually think it's a really good fear to have. I think a lot of people don't fear enough going bust. I would not want to go bust. I would, I would feel very humiliated by that. Um, would you I, see it as a failure? Um, yeah, and I know I would get back up and recover from that. I know I would because I've got back and recovered from difficult things before. But um, I don't like the thought of um, other people's money going down with me. Don't like that thought at all. Yeah. Like so, Jordan Belfort, you know, he's like back in teaching everyone how to sell and all that. But he, um, you know, took a load of people's money, money down with him and I couldn't come back and go, oh, well, I'll teach you how to sell. Even though there was, you know, tens of millions of pounds that just got sunk. I'd, I'd at least want to try and pay those people back. What I find really interesting about that, Rob, if we can scrape it a little bit, is you've got this wealthy, successful man who knows he can bounce back. Actually, when we looked at what bit of failure that would mean for you, the first thing that you said very naturally was other people's money going down with you. How responsible do you feel? So how much of that feeling responsible for other people tied in with your masculinity is attributed to your success? And that foresight, I can't, I can't go there. I can't fail at that. Do you think that that's part of masculinity? Do you think that that's part of your drive that perhaps isn't conscious? Yeah, I think um, there's, there's certainly an ego element to it. I don't think ego is the enemy, like no. a lot of people say. Yeah. And, um, you know, the pride, the proud version of me wants to be respected by my contemporaries and peers and my competition. And I might deem that my respect would go down if I'd gone bust and yeah. sunk 50 million quid. So I see that as a good thing. Same. Um, you know, it's my CV, it's my record. It's the amount of victories or defeats I have publicly. And I obviously want a good record. So it's your protect- you're actually protecting as a masculine man, if we were to say masculinity is part of protecting and providing what you're doing is you're not just protecting yourself, but you're also protecting the people whom you're responsible for. Yeah, yeah, I'd not really ever thought of it like that. Um, Well, now you've got an official sentence from Dawn and Tracy from Real Women (laughs) that I am not a toxic masculine. I rock because I protect and provide. It's official, Rob. It's right. official. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to wear that. Dawn's decided you're a protect, protector, not a disruptor. I'm going to wear that with, with pride. Good. Um, but, you know, I think this subject of ego is really interesting yes. because, um, I, you know, I know from the stoic perspective, e- ego is the enemy, but I think ego is also your, your, your best friend. It is, yeah. It's there to keep you safe. Yeah. Um, we've got a question for you that's for our competition because we've been our two-year anniversary. We're um... congratulations! Yay! <laughs> um, so we've got a question for you um, that is part of the answer for the competition. Oh! So if you've All got right. to this bit, folks, you're about to hear what the answer is to our challenge we're setting you. 
You're sat here with two very wise women, if we say so ourselves, <laughs> both older than you. Um, what, what confuses you the most about women? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this? Um, what confuses me the most about women? Fucking hell, When a woman brings you a problem but doesn't want you to fix it. Brilliant. There you go, that's Rob's answers. answer, guys. That's Do you bad. want to answer that? Why are you bringing me the problem if you don't yeah. want me to fix, fix it? it? Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I just want you to hear me. Um, yeah, that confuses me. That does. I am a fixer, and um, sometimes I selfishly want to fix problems to not feel the problem. But yeah, I'm not very good at dealing with problems that aren't. Um, there's no desire to fix them. So that confuses me about women. Yeah, it's quite interesting that because that's one of the things that. When you look at what, what's the book, Men Are From Mars, Men Are From Venus, they actually list that as, you know, when a women will bring a problem, they don't want a solution, they just want to be heard. And likewise, the one for women about men is, why say you're not lost when quite, quite clearly you frigging are and I can show you the way out? So it's, it's quite, quite interesting, that I think one. it goes back to caveman days and we haven't evolved. So men would go off into the world with their one directional psh, kill mode. They can just concentrate on that one thing and they're geared up for that. They go off and they do that. What women did was go and pick the berries. And this is why women chat and gossip and analyze every detail and remember everything like an elephant. But it was survival, this is our survival. Because we had to track our way through uh, and negotiate to go and get the berries, but if we didn't do it at the right time of day or, uh, you know, we needed and we needed to come back to the camp with the berries and communicate that to our other fellow women so that if while I'm out collecting berries, I get killed by a sabre toothed tiger, another woman would be able to pick up that role and know the route and know every detail. And so it's actually part of our survival. So when we went, so you've got to listen. I am listening. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> No, I, I didn't listening. mean like, I meant when you, when a woman comes to you and so it's just part of us having to express and because now that now in this day and age we don't have such worries, but because those bits of our brains haven't really evolved, um, we still need to offload every detail and analyse everything. We just need you to listen. That's it. Right. I'm learning a lot on this show. Yeah, you go. It's cool, isn't it? <laughs> so, before we finish, we've got some quick fires. For oh, yeah, you, yeah. Do you know what? I'd like to pick up on one little I've thing. Got, on, I've got 15 minutes. Cool. There's no rush. Yeah. You'd mentioned earlier about your children. The Tracy has a boy. She's oh. obviously had to raise How him. How old's your boy? Well, he's, he's older now. He's 25 this year, but I, from the age of him being about three weeks old, dad disappeared. So, right. the hard thing for me was bringing him up in a way that he got that masculine support because mm. yes i was masculine in my job but at the end of the day i wasn't masculine in the way that his father would have been yeah so yeah mm. so raising children my eldest son is 36 or 37 and my youngest is 22 so i've got three boys one girl you've got a boy yeah bobby uh 12. How are you going to uh, negotiate masculinity, raising him? Have you thought about that? Um, I'm sure my wife has. 
I'm not sure I understand the phrase negotiating masculinity. Okay, so um, so mm, one of my sons, he's 23, he's starting a family. Well, my eldest son has also got a family. Their first instinct was they went straight into, you know, grow up, provide for family, that whole provide, protect thing. Yeah. If I don't think if we hadn't have installed the rules of engagement of at some point part of being a man is that you're responsible for this and this and this and this and this um, and also giving them some hardship yeah. which is tough to do when you're in a comfortable position yeah. it's tough to give your kids hardship but I think without it it's difficult for boys to develop their masculinity yeah I definitely agree and feel that in order for someone to develop their masculinity, especially specific traits like resilience and grit um, and persistence, which I think are vi vital life skills, which are latent in all of us. We've all yeah. got that resourcefulness. I think you have to give them struggle and hardship. And like you said, and in some ways, my children are quite privileged and it's not their fault. And yeah, I, yeah. Sometimes I look at my children, like my daughter said, when I grow up, I will have a rich boyfriend. <laughs> and then my wife was like, well, no, no, you've got a few things to learn first. I'm like, okay, this is how it's going to go. And, <laughs> and obviously, you, you know, that's just, um, yeah, there's a lot of steps between where you are and um, achieving that goal. Um, so... I want to give my son hardship and challenge to develop resilience and strength and independence. I want to have him solve problems rather than me solve problems for him so he can solve problems for himself in his life. And I want to raise him in such a way that he knows how the world is and he doesn't go into the world seeing it as some kind of fantasy. Because I think a lot of people are raised where, you know, life all of a sudden really shocks them. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, and um, one thing I know for sure is if I'd have come back at age 17 and said to my dad, dad, I'm gay, that wouldn't have gone down well. <laughs> Whereas I have actually thought about that and if that is how, you, you know, how my son is, I'll completely embrace that. But beyond that, I don't really think I've yet thought about his masculinity over and above the things I've just said. Yeah. Interesting. I think it is about preparing them for the world, isn't it? Whether you've got mm. a daughter that you're preparing them for the feminine side or a boy that you're preparing for the masculine side. I think it's all about preparation for life. Yeah. It, mm. it's, it's, it's like, for example, you've got a really, you've clearly got a, a healthy uh, mind, money mind, mindset, but somewhere along the line, that wasn't always perhaps the case. You might not have even thought about it when you were a kid. I don't know. Actually, a question on that. You've got a healthy money mindset. I.e. I love money. Yeah. Yeah. What do you have and to... And money loves me. <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> what do you have to push away, though? Do you have... Is there any... any ever, is there ever any shame or... Is there anything that sometimes to maintain that healthy money mindset you have to push away? Um, personally speaking, um, I hit these 
glass ceilings where pushing my fees up beyond that ceiling are a challenge. Why? Um, well, I used to be an artist when I was um, in my early 20s and I'm quite a creative person. So um, pricing your work as an artist is not oh, easy to do. No. And especially, I mean, I love Rage Against the Machine. And, you know, so you, you could, have, could say back then I was very political and anti-capital um, <laughs> and broke because of it. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I learned actually that you can charge handsomely but fairly for your art. And then as art evolved into business, I learned that, you know, your, your business is your art and you can charge handsomely and fairly for your art. Um, but ultimately, in order for you to increase your fees with ease, you have to believe that you are worth it. Yeah. And so there's been stages in my journey when my mentoring has gone up from five to 10 grand or 10 to 20 or 20 to 50, where I've questioned if I'm worth it. And the way to answer that question is to find the ideal client that would value what you've got and offer a valuable service, you know, that, that they would want to pay fairly for. Um, yeah, so I, I guess what I'm saying is you're always trying to fend off, am I worth it? Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Thank you for that. I like that one. And I love the fact that you're changing or you've recently changed in your book the formula for wealth mm. that you've put perceived in front of value. Yeah. I think that speaks a little bit to what you've just been talking about. It's about what others perceive your value to be, not what you think it is. Yes. Yeah, so in my first money book, the formula for wealth is wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage. And then I updated the formula to wealth equals perceived value yeah. plus fair exchange because you might think you're worth X, but if your clients and the market thinks you're worth half X, you're worth half X. X yeah. End of story. X, exactly, yeah. end of story. Um, and so, you know, if you want to increase your fees, one way to do it is to increase the value that you offer to your marketplace. But you thinking it's valuable and them not paying for it is delusion. Um, whereas that you finding out what they deem to be valuable and then charging for it um, helps you up your prices. Cool. Yeah. We've got some quick fire ones for you. Just oh. really quick answers to right, close then. the show. Um, so Dawn's gonna start. So we've had a bet on this. So please answer correctly. <laughs> I need to win. I'm looking at. Can you like listen to me? You know, <laughs> when we were talking earlier about listening, you got to answer my way. All right. We've had a bet. Yeah. If you had to give up something, if you had to give up either your cars or your watches, which one would you pick? <laughs> this is a really difficult one. I know. Um, we, we weren't going to give you completely easy questions all the way through. Well. 
I suppose I'd have to give up the watches. Oh, yes. Because, oh. Well, you can't do really without cars. You no. know, cars have a no, utility. No, you see, but you could buy a cheap car. So how I went was you'd keep the watches because from an investment point of view, they might be good. Whereas cars depreciate. You can buy a cheaper bloody car. Yeah, but that wasn't in the op. The option wasn't I could have a car, was it? It was give up the Just cars. Just give up the cars. Oh. So if, I don't know, I mean, if I could have one or two daily drivers, I might give up all the other cars. <laughs> okay. But um, I still need a car to get to work and yeah. to travel. So, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna roll with this and have a bit of fun with it. Because um, <laughs> I, I um, you know, watches and cars I buy are about, about the same money, anywhere between 100,000 and 250,000 each. And the upside of the car is the childhood dream of driving your childhood fantasy car. Yeah. But the maintenance and the running costs are very high. Yes. Um, watches, the maintenance and running costs are a lot lower. Um, watches are easier to store. You can put them in a safety deposit box or a safe or something like that. Um, whereas, you know, cars need a lot of space. I have eight cars and I don't have an eight car garage. Um, so, yeah, there's some of the upsides and downsides. But I, I think I'd, I'd have to stay with cars. Yeah. You're such yeah. a boy. <laughs> no, no, I'm a man. A man. Yeah. I, you're, yeah. such, you're such a man. Yeah, you're she's, such a man. She's not going to let me off with the fact that no, I'm No, because I bet the other way. Yeah. Just How it much was... did you bet? Oh, it was a friendly bet. We didn't <laughs> put money down. There's got to be money on the line. No, there wasn't, wasn't money on the line. anywhere near, like, getting into a ring in a boxing no, match. No. Yeah. So. <laughs> Good. So, you're, uh, and again, quick fire answers. Lowest moment in life versus highest moment in life? Um, so far. I think the lowest moment in my life was December the 15th, 2005, when my dad had his nervous breakdown. Um, it was outside our pub. It was in front of all the customers. He was beaten up and arrested and sectioned by the police. Um, and okay. then he was um, diagnosed with manic depression. Um, and, you know, my dad, I always looked up to my dad. He had, he, he, um, it was part, part of my entrepreneurial desire was instilled in me from my dad being very entrepreneurial and getting me involved. So, um, yeah, I would say that was probably my lowest moment. Um, my best moment, uh, two things come to mind. One is um, day my daughter was born, I proposed to my wife. Um, so my wife was in a, a water bath and my daughter fired out like a torpedo in the water bath. I always remember that bit. And, um, and then I um, proposed to my wife and that was a great day. Um, and then um, making my mum and dad financially free. So, you know, paying, one. Paying, their, paying the house off and um, the cars and um, just making sure that, you know, when they weren't able to afford to retire, I could help them retire. Um, Love that. Yeah. yeah, great. So we we used to be called Sweat, Grit and Hustle and we reformulated the podcast nearly a year ago now to all the bits between life, the sweat, the grit, the hustle, but not about business. So out of those three words, sweat, grit and hustle, which resonates the most with you and why? Grit. Um, hustle 
is a dangerous path because um, you can end up giving up everything um, but not have the life that you want. Yeah. You can give up your evenings and weekends. Um, you can work hard in the wrong things. You can push people close to you away. I much prefer smart work to hard work. Um, and grit, which you might also call resilience, yeah. is what you build along the journey when you build your, your empire. And it gives you this steely quality where you can handle anything that comes your way. Cool. Love yeah. it. And as a final question, uh, Rob, um, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I want to be remembered as the guy that um, was quite ranty and... Um, <laughs> very ranty. Yeah, very ranty. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, maybe at first you didn't really like me because I spoke some truths that struck, hit a nerve. Um, but the more time you spend consuming my content, the more you realise that, um, you know, what I'm teaching about money and business um, is use useful and valuable. So I want to be remembered to have helped millions of people get better financial knowledge. Love it. Um, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks Thank for you coming. Very much. Um, and with that, Tracy, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The two Ronnies. <laughs> the amazing Mr. Rob Moore, Thank everybody. You. <laughs>If you've enjoyed our conversation today, please subscribe and download the podcast. To share your thoughts on this episode or to suggest future topics, connect with us on Instagram at Real Women Podcast. And thank you for listening.